0: Maybe full. Good afternoon, brethren. This is quite the pulpit you've got here. <laughs> uh, excuse me. Okay, let's uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer before we get started here. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for the opportunity to gather here. Lord, the, the water might be off and there might be all manner of technical difficulties, but we trust, Lord, that you are where your people are. Where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in their midst. And Lord, we just ask that it would be so in a manifest way here today, that your presence would be manifest to us. That it would be clear, it would be evident. Fill us, Lord. May great grace fall upon us today. In Christ's name I ask. Amen. Well, if you would all open with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We're going to be spending the majority of our time in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. While you're turning there, there once was a. There was a time where I was I was in a vehicle with with two other two other men and I was in the back seat with this with this one guy and, and we were we were talking up talking up uh, just we we were having a pretty general conversation about the law of God and about his precepts and his teachings and we're we're actually going to look there in a second in Psalms chapter nineteen don't turn there just yet but. We're going to look just generally about the certain things that the psalmist says about God's law and His rules and His precepts, and and we were really enjoying the conversation. We were we were talking about just the the wisdom and the beauty and just the way in which it's incorporated into our lives and and the enjoyment that it brings and and different other things. And there was this, this gentleman who, I, if I remember correctly, he was actually in the driver's seat at the time, and he had been listening to our conversation and. I don't believe that this man knows the Lord, but he himself has struggled in the past with with whether or not he might be a Christian. But as he's listening to our conversation, he speaks up as there was a gap in the conversation and his response kind of startled us because, you know, we're going back and forth having a great discourse here and he goes, rules, rules, rules. That's all I hear you guys talking about. Rules, rules, rules. Imagine if you, and he he used the illustration of the marriage, imagine if you brought that way of thinking into the place of marriage. How, like, the the man is just going to be domineering and he's going to have all of these rules and these laws and these regulations and these precepts and everything that the wife has to follow. And he was essentially trying to use the place of marriage to discredit, if you were, some of the things that we were saying about the law of God, about the beauty and the joy that it brings, and the satisfaction that we had in just examining it and meditating upon it. And this clearly was, was so far out of this man's experience. All of the rules. It was so clear in that moment. I mean, we, we were there in stunned silence. We, had, we were not expecting that response from this man. But it was so clear in that moment. This man had all of the rules, all of the laws, with none of the benefits, none of the rewards. So the title of my message is, The Reward for Christian Obedience. And I have it sectioned into three, three simple sections. It's just, we're we're pr- primarily going to be looking at the Word of God, the love of God, and the joy of God. Or if you want to input Jesus, Jesus' Word, Jesus' love, and Jesus' joy. So, if you're already there at John 15, just read with me, starting in verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So, looking here at the word aspect. The words of Jesus. Back in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now the next word there is ask. Ask whatever you will, and it will be done unto you. So clearly we can see how our Lord is working, not only abiding in him, but abiding in his word, incorporated into our prayer lives. The importance of the word here, that, well, the emphasis rather that our Lord is putting upon the word is nothing foreign to Scripture by any means. Uh, The the Apostle Paul, in his well-known book to the Colossians, says in chapter three, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly we also see the the benefits of the word two chapters from here in john chapter 17 when our lord is praying to his father and he says sanctify them in the truth your word is truth we also see other places like in psalms 119 verse 11 i have stored up your word in my heart that i might not sin against you now obviously we're talking about the rewards for christian obedience When you're looking at a verse like that, that I might not sin against you, clearly you could take it in the positive sense that I might be obedient. I have stored up this word in my heart that I might obey you, that I might walk in your law, that I might walk in obedience. So, we're going to come back to John 15, but before we move any further, just on this topic of the law of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, as Jesus is going to teach us further, turn with me really quickly to Psalms, to uh, Psalm chapter 19, the 19th Psalm. The 19th Psalm, and once again, we're going to start in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. You see, this, this is the kind of stuff that we were talking about in the vehicle. We, we were sitting there and we were going over passages like this one and other places in Scripture that just talk about the gloriousness of the Word of God. of of being in the Word and meditating on the Word and memorizing the Word and to live by the Word. And for this man to hear that and to say, rules, 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 and that be his takeaway from all of that. The world looks into something like this. These rules and regulations and even to compare it to marriage. It was so clear that he was hearing oppression while the psalmist sees pure gold. The psalmist looks into the Word of God, into his rules and his laws and his precepts and his teachings and sees something that is more valuable than fine gold. Notice how he takes it even a step farther. Verse 10, he says gold. The next verse, he says even much fine gold. So when you're talking about fine gold, it's not not uncommon. Obviously, we're talking about gold that has then been purified. When you have gold, you can have a gold that is mixed in with other metals. It becomes more valuable based upon the purity of the gold itself. So he starts at the gold, then moves to fine gold, and he's saying the law of the Lord is more to be desired than even that. And obviously we see the reason in verse 11. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them there is Great reward. Great reward. Now, we're going to go back to John here in just one second to observe this principle played out in real time as our Lord is teaching the disciples. But if you guys are like me, you have a similar background where you, you've been taught the, the doctrines of grace and, and you have a, a more reformed... Um, th- just a reformed way of, of looking at Scripture, the law at times can make us feel a little uncomfortable. When we see passages like this, it's been, it's been ground into us, you know, the principles that we read in, in Romans and Galatians and the danger that they fell into with regard to getting a little too close to the law, putting it in a position where it wasn't meant to be. But stay with me, brethren. Because what we don't want to do is for fear of legalism and elevating the law of God to a place that it's not supposed to be and for fear of going, well, I don't want to be a legalist and end up in the hypercorrection where we rob ourselves of all of the great rewards that our Lord is talking about here, that he's going to show us in John 15, but specifically here in the Psalms, the great reward that the psalmist is referring to. And I don't know if any of you have that same inclination that I do. When you start hearing people talk a little too much, it might seem, about the law, there can almost be like these defensive walls. And when you talk to, perhaps you've run into certain brethren even, where you're, you're mentioning certain things about their life, certain inconsistencies to Scripture. And, and well, brother, you know, this is this is a little concerning. I, I think there's there's something to be talked about here. There looks to be some... Something going wrong here in their life and their, their reflex might be, well, we're not under law. We're under grace. Don't, don't condemn me under the law. Don't put that on my conscience. Don't do this. Don't do that. And they'll run to those, those verses there in Romans or Galatians where they, they kind of shoot there. I, I've had conversations like that with people where you come with, with genuine concern, where you're seeking to, to help them or care for them and you see some inconsistency and, and they immediately put up walls. Don't bring the law to me. Don't put me under that. We're no longer under the law. This stuff that he's talking about, that's Old Testament. But what I'd like to prove to you guys today is not only does this apply to us here and now today, but it is incredibly important to our lives and our day-to-day walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, clearly, we're not debating the topic of how one is justified. No one is justified through the law. I think that is very clear in Scripture. That is not what we're fighting for. It is about these great rewards that are either to be had or lost. He says, in keeping of them, there is great reward. The great rewards to either be had or lost depending on what we do. Depending on what we do. Now this is, once again, not an uncommon theme in Scripture. If you want to go ahead, turn turn with me back to to John 15. And and while you're turning there, I'm gonna gonna go through a few other passages that may come to mind when thinking about general rewards, or perhaps not so general, specific rewards that we are given based upon our obedience. I think one very well known passage comes out of Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four, where our the apostle Paul has just exhorted the people, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And then you move down the page and you see that he gives three things that are to be done by the Philippians. Does anybody know, anybody know what those three things are? Prayer is one of them. Well, rejoice is one, but there's, there's, a, th- there's a line of them that he gives. Prayer, supplication with what? thanksgiving prayer supplication with thanksgiving this is what he sets forth for us here's what you are to do does anybody remember what the reward was you do these three things in everything by prayer with supplication with thanksgiving and you get what The peace of God. It says, the peace of God will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that surpasses understanding. There is a supernatural peace that is bestowed upon you based upon your obedience. He says, here's what you need to do, and here's what you get for doing it. Very straightforward, very simple. This is not something uncommon to the New Testament. I mean, we see even in James 1 that it talks about the blessing that is had from obeying the law of liberty. But another passage I, I want to remind you of is 1 John 3, 21 and 22. No need to turn there. We're going to be moving along in John 15. But I'll read it for you here real quick. But beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, he's talking about walking before the Lord. With a clear conscience. We have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. That because there, a lot of people want to go, whoa, 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 John. Wait, so, so you mean that my prayer life is contingent upon my obedience? You mean that my, the success of my own prayer life of receiving whatever it is that I ask is dependent upon whether or not I keep his commandments? And I think the clear answer is yes. That's what, that's what we're taught here. That's even what our Lord is teaching us back in John 15. So we've come full circle here on the word of our Lord here. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. The importance of having our Lord's words washing us clean day in and day out as we're renewing our minds. Seeking to keep our conscience sensitive before the Lord. To walk before Him in obedience. Walking before Him in obedience. So, we're going to move down this page, and some of you might already know where I'm headed, but we're going to move into the topic of rewards here in a second. But brethren, I beseech you, don't miss this. Don't miss the responsibility that our Lord gives you as the individual. Where He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. I mean, look, look across the page. Chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And so now moving on to verse 9. Now we're moving moving from the Word into the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. The vital importance of knowing what our Lord Jesus commands of us. Knowing what it is that He would have us to do with our lives. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So that phrase there, abide in my love, is a command directly from God. As glorious as this is, it's not a request. As desirous as this is for us, it's not something that Jesus is saying, hey guys, this is the way that you should probably live your lives. This might be beneficial for you. Jesus comes with the authority of the God man and says, this is what you are to do. You abide in my love. So we have the command. You know, this is the, this is the type of thing that our, our lost friend here, the lost man in the car, listens to and just hears rules, rules, rules. Here we go again. Jesus giving out more rules. This is a person that has, has never known the joy of obedience has never received the rewards of actually taking what our Lord says seriously and reaping the benefits. So again, brethren, don't miss out on this. Don't take this lightly. Don't let this be a secondary matter of your Christian life where you end up missing out on the rewards that are available to you. Abide in my love. This is not a foreign term to us. To remain somewhere. Stay in it. Where my love is, stay there. Be in My love. So he gives us the command. But now he gives us the guide, if you will. The manual. The how-to. The step-by-step. Look with me in verse 10. If. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So here's the command. Abide in my love. Stay there. Be there. Remain where my love is. How do you do that? Keep my commandments. And you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love I mean you you've got to appreciate the simplicity here the simplicity I mean I've read full books on John 15 and you can go all over the place and just the heights and the depths and trying to unpack everything here and become can I ask you guys honestly? If if a new Christian came up to you today and they asked you, brother or sister, how do I walk with the Lord? How do I, I want to walk with Jesus? I want to be near to him. I want to be close with my Lord Jesus. I want to stay there. I've been, I've been reading through my Bible and I've I've got through to, to John 15 and what does it mean to, to be with Jesus? What does it mean to abide with Jesus? How many of us here, the very first answer we give is, keep those commandments. That's what you gotta do. Who, who says that? In in my experience as a Christian, I have never had anybody tell me that. Because the first inclination is: wait, wait a second, isn't that legalism? You can't say that. And yet, our Lord just the simplicity keep my commandments whole books and our lord hands you the key in one sentence here it is you want to walk with me you want to be near to me You want to stay close to me? Here's my love. You want to stay in it? It's not some mystery. This isn't magical. It doesn't take, you know, going on some pilgrimage. It doesn't take going and finding the Holy Land. It doesn't take becoming a monk and going away and and striving in a temple for the rest of your life. You want to do this? You want to stay close? You want to be in that inner circle of my love? Keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. Be obedient. And so then moving on, He doesn't even just stop there. Look at the the second half of the verse. He gives us the command. Here's the command. Then He gives us the how to. Here's how to do it. And immediately after it, He says, and here's the example. Here it is. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in His love. Here it is, guys. I'm the the example. Just as I have done it, this is what you're to do. And this is the beauty of Scripture. I think one of the most, one of my favorite discourses that our Lord has with the Pharisees, with the Jews, one of the most informative things I think we can learn as Christians is where Jesus acknowledges. He says, You guys seek, you you guys search out the scriptures because in them you believe you have eternal life. And then he flips it on him and he says, But that's all about me. That's about me. The Bible is a book on me. And even here you see the same formula is that when he's giving the how to guide on how to remain in his love, he's saying, And here I am. Stay, look at me. Keep your eyes on me. Keep your focus on me. Do as I do. And then the command gets condensed down into one action as we see there in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is my command. He simplifies it once again. That you love one another as I have loved you. This is it. I'm the format. I'm the formula. This is it. I'm the example. Do what I do. Love as I love. Once again, finding God doesn't take, you know, going off into the mountains and becoming a monk somewhere. That's a false sense of holiness. Really, to abide in his love, he's saying, you see these people? Love them. Love them as I loved you. You see the, you see the love I poured my life out for you. I gave my life for you. Literally, I suffered for you. And no greater love has anyone than this, that I lay down my life. And we know clearly, since we have the full scriptures, that he did. He did that very thing. Laid down his life for his brethren, and now he calls you to do the same thing. This is it. Look around. You see them? Love them. Love them. Love them as I have loved you. We see this principle in Hebrews 12. I mean, looking to Jesus. Running this race with endurance. Putting off sin. Looking to Jesus. The founder and the perfecter of our faith. This is it. Just as I have. Just as I have. Living for others. Loving others. There was another man that I was talking to once. And I mean when you when you boil everything down that he was saying, when when you boil down all the terminology and and everything that his whole story that he was giving me, the the guy was having a pity party. That's what it was. At the the bottom of the barrel, when you got down to it, he was having a pity party and and he was saying, Man, I, I just I just feel like if I left the church, that no one would even miss me. If I if I left the church. Nobody would probably even notice I was gone. You know, I could just disappear, and nobody'd bat an eye at it. I'd just be here today, gone tomorrow, and it wouldn't even make much of a ripple in the church. And you just—you just look at someone like that, and you want to like shake them. Like, there's some, probably a reason for that. There could potentially be a reason, even if that were the case. Even if that were the case, when we look at this passage, it says, you love. Look with me, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love. I mean, don't you love it how our Lord can just lovingly back us right up into a corner? Where, where we want to say, but, but Lord, what, what about them? Kind of like Peter. He looks back and goes, Lord, what, what about that disciple? What about him? And our Lord says, you love but but they're not, i'm not getting what i want out of the services i'm not i i mean can you, you guys ever seen that there is such a stark contrast between people who come into the church place with a give versus a get mentality the kind of people that come in and it's like all right who's going to serve me who's who's going to help me who's going to give me what i need today because man i've had a rough week and i and then the other people who come in and it's like they can't stop serving Oh, brother, let me help you with that. And and brother, how can I be praying for you? Or sister, how can I do this or or that or the other thing? And they're the ones who are full of joy. That's the way God has designed it. Keep my commandments. Abide in my love. That's the way. That's the way. And I mean, you could could look at this and go, wait a second, Jesus? Doesn't doesn't this put all of the weight on my shoulders? I mean, it, it sounds like it's left up to me to keep myself in the love of God. You mean it's it's based upon my obedience that I abide in your love? And I mean Jude 121 says, keep yourself in the love of God. That's what we're that's what we're literally commanded. Keep yourself in the love of God. How do we do that? We obey. We be obedient. We love as He loved. We pour our lives out for others. And now, moving a step farther, I'd like to to show you guys the end result of our reward. So obviously, what's at stake here? Abiding in the love of our Lord. Abiding in His love. But now look with me back up at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. Brethren, we're going we're gonna to run this race with our eyes set on the prize. This is not something we have to wait for eternity for. This is here and this is now. Our Lord is talking about fullness of joy right now today. This is on the table for us right now in this lifetime. This isn't something where we have to kind of go around with a martyr complex like, well, yes, I know, these light momentary afflictions are preparing for me an eternal weight of glory and I've just got to hang on in this lifetime and I've got to just kind of move. Like, have you guys ever noticed how there are some Christians that kind of only get as far as the trust and obey And that's kind of as far as they go. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. And yet it just seems like they stay at the trust and obey. Like, well, I've just got to keep going and i got to just keep pushing. And, you know, I long for those hilltop experiences. But a lot of our Christian life is just going to be down in in the shadow. And and, and it's going to be down in the valleys. And and it's going to be hard. And, look, I'm not denying that. Christian life is difficult. I'm not denying the trials, but nevertheless, this is what's at stake. This is what is available to us. I mean, we we have the example in Matthew 13 of the man who found the treasure, and it says very specifically that then in his joy, the man finds the treasure, and in his joy, he goes. Take it all. I don't need any of this stuff. He goes and sells everything that he has. I mean, can you imagine if that guy was depressed? Can you imagine if you found this guy at the marketplace and he's like, oh well, yeah, i got to sell all my stuff. You're like, man, are you, you doing all right? Like, oh well, yeah, I found this field. And and it's, it's a worthwhile investment, but man, it's going to be a lot of loss. This is going to really... This is gonna be this is gonna to be tough, but I, I you know I know it's the right thing to do, so I'm I'm gonna sell everything that I have. It's like imagine what that says about the treasurer. You're like, man, are you? You sound like you're barely breaking even. Are you sure that's even the right decision here? You really you're gonna sell everything you have for this empty field? Now let me give you just a quick illustration where you you have a vehicle. Imagine you have a car and and you you paid ten grand for it. And you kind of clean it up a little bit, and then you put it back out on the market, and the maximum that you can get for it is $10,050. And so when everything is said and done, you you only made about $50 off of it. Chances are you're not going to be coming in here, jumping up and down through the aisles, like, can you guys believe it? This was the best trade of my life. But now, imagine with me that you just totaled your car. You just wrecked vehicle you just absolutely destroyed it you hit a light post and there's just pieces everywhere and which one of our lives wasn't an absolute mess when Jesus found us Which one of our lives wasn't a car crash? I mean, that's what, what's the phrase? It's like a car crash. You can't look away from it. Like, which one of our lives was all put together in this most valuable thing and where we brought it to Jesus, we were like, all right, Jesus, I guess we're going to have to part with this, but man, is that valuable. We had this destroyed wreck of a life. And Jesus comes over and says, here, I'll be taking that. Swipes the keys, slaps $45 billion in our hands and walks away. You're sitting there like, are you kidding me? For that piece of junk? And this is what I get in return? That's the story of the man in the treasure where he goes away full of joy. Like, are you kidding? This is all I have to get rid of in order to obtain the field? It has to do with the ratio there of profit. The ratio of gain where he's running the calculations and he's going, this is so much more valuable than everything I have. It's not even a choice. Brethren, I, I, I ask you, are you, do you feel like you're breaking even on our Lord Jesus Christ? Is that, is that something that you feel like, oh man, this is, this is really, you know, this is a tough choice to make, the world or our Lord. Like, who feels that way? Who feels like they're only breaking even? I mean, when, when, the, when the world looks into our lives the question should be, why? Like, you find that man, and he's selling everything you have. You think somebody there might have been like, hey, man, why? Like, for that field, that makes no sense. Like, I think about the mothers. Like, my mother, for many, many years, woke up at, if I remember correctly, 4 a.m. every single morning to meet with the Lord. It's just like, looking at that as a lost person, it's like, Why? Why are you doing that? It makes no sense. You need sleep. Why aren't you sleeping more? Isn't sleep more valuable? What are you doing? Or the the people that have made sacrifices in this very room, I mean, the things that you've given up, you ever had family or friends come along and go, well, that wasn't wise. That wasn't a good investment. You, You could have got the promotion, or you could have got the big house or the better car. Why? Why are you doing it? That should be the question that the lost people ask us. Because we're so willing to to get rid of stuff. We're, We're so willing to live the life of sacrifice if it means that we can have the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the why. We've tried sin. We've tried the world. And we've found that Jesus is better. We've sought to delight ourselves in the things of this world and have found that Jesus is more delightful We've tasted of the temporary joys of this lifetime and, and the fleeting joy of sin. And we found that Jesus brings the fullness of joy. The fullness of joy. Now, look with me back at John chapter uh, 15, verse 11 here. Verse 11, because there's, there's two primary ways that this can be interpreted. So when you're looking at verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, this phrase right here, That my joy may be in you. That my joy may be in you. So there's two primary ways that this text gets interpreted. The first one is that when he says, my joy in you, that there is a supernatural joy that Jesus possesses, and as we are abiding in his love, he imparts that joy to us. Similarly to John chapter 14, where He says, my peace I give to you. Where Jesus is giving us, he's giving the disciples there as he was describing it, a supernatural peace. It was completely outside of themselves. That's the first interpretation. When people look at this, a lot of times people will say, he gives us his joy. It becomes our own. Which is why he then says that your joy may be full. The second interpretation is the one that I believe is actually more honest to the passage. And I'm going to try and convince you as to why I believe that. When it says my joy, that my joy may be in you. Jesus is talking literally about how he delights in the obedience of his people. And finds joy even in our attempts at pleasing Him. Similarly, as we read there in 1 John. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what is pleasing to Him. Our Lord Jesus is able to find joy in our obedience You say, well, well, where do you come to that conclusion? That comes from the fact that Jesus, in the context here, has just compared His relationship with the Father, the Father to Him, and then from Him to us. He's essentially said, look, love, the love that the Father has for me, that love, I've abided in His love. And in the same way, now you are abiding in my love. He says, just as. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments. That just as there, He's making a contrast, a comparison. And He's saying, this right here is same across the board. Just as I have stayed in His love, so you stay in my love. And we know the relationship that the Father has with the Son. He says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased our Lord Jesus Christ is able to look at us and say the same. That we are his beloved people in whom he is well pleased. As it talks about there, that word pleased again. He's able to find his joy. He's able to derive joy from us And our obedience. And let me just give you a a, a practical illustration of this. I mean, have you ever seen a parent when when their child is taking those first steps or is crawling and and they're sitting there so elated, full of joy. Come on, come to me. Keep going, you're doing it. Keep, Keep coming, come on, come on. And I mean, the child might fall on their face. But it's the attempt there. The attempt at moving closer. The attempt at taking those steps. That it's like, come on, keep going. When, when Jesus Christ Himself looks down at you and sees your attempt at pleasing Him, He's saying, come on, keep going. I love it. I love it. Keep going. Keep going. He has His joy in you and in your Obedience. I mean, this year, if you're looking at it compared to some other churches, you might look in and go, well, you know, what, what can we really do? And, and we're, we're, we're a smaller church, and, and we're not like some of those churches that have 500 to 1,000 people, and, and they've got all the, the ministries and everything else, and yet our Lord can look down upon you and your simple attempt at obedience and say, yes, I love it. Keep going. Keep loving, keep obeying, keep abiding in my love. I mean, the the lost man just hears rules, rules, rules coming from the frowning face of God while the Christian looks up and sees the smiling face of a Savior who says, keep abiding. Abide in my love. Keep being obedient that your love may be full. And I mean, we see the principle here of the vine riddled throughout John chapter 15. And I mean, there's so many false vines in this world. Jesus is calling us to Him. Find your all in Me. Be in My love. Abide in My love. Find your joy in My love. And all of the false vines of this world, people making vines out of social media and vines out of television and vines out of their phone and even vines out of friends or family or even the church itself, seeking to find this in anything else is always going to fail. Jesus points us back to Him. Look, here's how to do it. Here's what to do. Here's how to do it. Here I am. I'm the example. Keep coming. Keep moving. And brethren, I think the clear question here, when you read a verse like this, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. When we're on the topic of the fullness of joy, doesn't it beg the question, is your joy full today? I mean, when you think about your life, when you think about your, your walk with the Lord, is your joy full Is this even something on your radar? Is this something that you think about? Are you intentionally living for others right now at this very moment in a way that has you glued to the presence of the love of Jesus fulfilling your joy? I mean, because if you don't have that joy, if if you don't have that pleasurable experience of knowing the love of our Lord Jesus, I think the clear question should be why? Why not? I mean, that should be a red flag. That should be something that comes up in our mind like, wait a second, what happened? Where did my love go? Where, where, Where did that joy go? This is something that should be common to us as Christians. This, this joy that, that he's talking about here shouldn't be something foreign. It shouldn't be something that we see as just kind of, well, you know, I don't really have any control over that. It just kind of ebbs and flows. And, and I know that most of the Christian life is down in the valley anyways. And so we just, like, Jesus is offering this to you today. And I know every Christian, every true believer of God, every true Christian who has put their faith in Jesus Christ has experienced this to one degree or another but my question is do you have this now do you have this this joy now are you abiding in his love now and if not if you've lost your joy i mean we're told so clearly in first john what to do run back run to him if there's any sin, confess that sin. If there's any hardness of heart, confess it. If there's any lack of desire or love for others, confess it. He says He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brethren, don't, don't stay there. Don't be content there. If you have to be one of those Christians that looks back... I mean, I had a coworker once uh, when I was just getting, coming out of high school... And, and this guy had to talk everything in his life about the past tense. I don't know if you ever run into somebody like this, but w- whenever you talk to them, it's just like, oh, my high school days, and oh, my college days, and man, I did this, and I did that, and I did the other thing, and, and it was so great, and so grand, and so glorious, and, and you just talk to him, it's like, man, what's, what's happening now? Like, you peaked in high school? He peaked in college. That should never be the case for the Christian, where the Christian has to look back and go, Oh, those seasons of when I first got saved, boy, that joy of the Lord had really filled me. Brethren, this is for here and now, today, tomorrow, the next day, on into eternity. This isn't something we have to sacrifice. No matter how fiery the trials may be, Jesus Christ was described as a man of sorrows. He bore our suffering. He bore our illness and our sickness. Yet according to the fruits of the Spirit, Jesus was full of joy. Jesus would have been a joyful man. A joyful man. So, finally, we're going to look. So we, we've moved through the, the importance of the Word of God and the commands of God and then the love of Jesus and, and abiding in His love and, and now the resulting fullness of joy that is at our potential disposal here and I want to show you in verse 8 because if you're somebody who you know is very sensitive to thinking about others which is a great motivation where you're already so others focused you want others to do well and you want and and I want to live for God's glory and I want to and then you hear a message like this and you think man this is kind of me focused like I'm, going to, I'm to be consumed with my own pursuit of joy? My own pursuit of abiding in Jesus? I mean, don't, don't I need to be more focused on the glory of God? This is what is so beautiful about our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Not only is this pursuit not self-centered, it's actually the most God-glorifying thing that you can do. The most God-glorifying thing that you can be consumed with is to be concerned about your abiding in Jesus' love and the fruit of joy that produces from it, that gets produced from it. To be full of joy, to be raptured up into this relationship with Christ, To have this joy, to be full of joy, is not only not selfish, it's the most God-centered thing that we can do. And a thinking person goes, then I want all the joy I can have. If this be the case and God is actually glorified by the fruitfulness of joy in my life as I abide in His Son, then I want the most joy possible. I want to experience the greatest manifestations of our Lord's love as is humanly possible I want it I want more and this also tells me that this is God's will God's will for our lives brethren is to make this pursuit to take this seriously the keeping of his commandments and abiding in the love of his son Jesus wants you to fight for your joy To not be content if it's missing. To not be content if it's gone. If you find that you're not abiding in the love of Jesus, He's saying, go after it. Get it. Do whatever it takes. Whatever needs to be cut off. Whatever needs to be thrown away. Do it and do it now. Because this ultimately does affect the glory of God. Great reward is at stake here. Why would we want to lessen our own reward in this lifetime due to disobedience? So, just as a, a recap, we've, we've moved through the importance of the Word and keeping our conscience sensitive to obey our Lord Jesus Christ and ultimately those commands being summarized in verse 12 by pouring our lives out for one another. We see the importance of keeping the commandments in order that we might abide in His love and then the fullness of joy that is produced from it. And I, I'd leave you guys with an illustration That I uh, an illustration that Spurgeon had used once, because so often joy doesn't necessarily need to manifest itself in uh, a huge smile or in in laughter or in flamboyance or in talkativity or whatever else. It doesn't mean that you come out of your closet with you know your face glowing uh, like coming down off the mountain. The illustration was of a person holding a cup full of glass—not uh, a glass cup full of water, rather. You—you've got your cup full of water, and I don't know if you. I mean, I assume everybody here knows what that what that's like, and you've seen somebody else do that, where you're you're holding the cup there, and it's full of water, full to the brim. That takes concentration. You're you're focused. You're intent. Your your movements generally are going to be a little bit slower. If somebody's talking to you, it might take a little bit longer to respond to them, and and you're you're just deliberate. I don't want to I don't want to drop one one bit of this. I want to keep it all in there. I want to keep it all in there, and just the contrast there to our joy, like having a glass full of joy. And you don't necessarily have to be loud. You don't have to shout. You don't have to dance. You don't. You're just careful. I just want to. I just want to walk in his love. I just want to do what's pleasing to him. I, I just I want to continue in this joy. Continue in his presence. Continue in the awareness of his manifest love. We need to walk carefully, brethren. Carefully before our Lord to obey his commands that we might abide in his love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for these words here and the, the corresponding rewards that are available to us. Lord, I, I just ask that you would help us. Help us to see the value of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us value him more. Help us to stay in your love, to experience this joy that we might be Christians that are the most glorifying to you as is humanly possible. Fill us with joy today in our Lord Jesus Christ. In His name I ask, Amen.